thanks for joining us here today at Victory Church, where we invite people to belong before they believe. If you wanna know more about who we are and what we do, or if any of our messages have impacted your life and you would like to partner with us in giving to this ministry, we invite you to do so by visiting our website at victory.church. Now, let's check out this week's message. Good morning. Say hello to Edmund. Uh, you guys can all take your seats. Uh, John's just getting me back this morning. I did invite him to come and speak in Kalamazoo in January. And uh, I woke up this morning and I'm like, it is cold here. What in the world? I, I thought Oklahoma was supposed to be warm, but uh, we got snow yesterday in Michigan and uh, over, overnight. And so we'll make sure John comes back in probably late January, early February when we have about five feet of it. Uh, but absolutely love your pastor, love this church. I think this is my third, third time being here, and every time that I come, I love three things. I love your pastor, I love Mama Lou praying over us, and I love the presence of God that you feel in this place. Uh, so it's really, really special, and that just speaks so much of your leadership and of the culture that has been uh, developed here over the years. And a real quick story, it has nothing to do with the message, but I heard him talking about Israel. So in 2012, Jane and I went to Israel for our first time. And uh, when we got to Jerusalem, we were staying in, I think, the King David Hotel. And my wife was training for a marathon. And so she got up in the morning with another lady and decided, we're, she, like 5.30 in the morning, she says, we're going to go for our long run. We got to do 13 miles. And it was a Saturday morning, which is Sabbath. So she takes off and she says, I'll be back in like an hour and a half. And I just rolled over. I was jet lagged. I went back to sleep. And about two hours later, I woke back up and she wasn't there. And so I went down looking for her. Three hours came, she still wasn't back. Four hours, she still wasn't back. They went on their long run and got lost in Jerusalem. Like really lost. And because it's Sabbath, nobody, nobody's out. Nobody will talk to you. And so she could see the hotel, but it was on the other side of the expressway. She didn't know how to go get back where they came from. And so literally, they, they had somebody help her get back to the hotel four and a half hours later. And I thought I was going to have to hire the Israeli Defense Force to go get my wife out of Gaza. And so if you go on a trip... Do not train for a marathon at the same time, all right? So all of you who need not to feel guilty about running, that will help you. And just be like, well, I can't do it because that'll mess everything up. So you're welcome. All right. If you have your Bibles, open them to two passages this morning. Hebrews chapter 11 and Matthew chapter 6. I want to bring a message to you this morning called The Seeker's Reward. The Seeker's Reward. And I'm going to begin by reading these two verses they seemingly are disconnected because they're in different places in the New Testament, but there is a central theme here that I believe that the Holy Spirit really wants to help us get a grip on, because if we can get a grip on this idea of the seeker's reward, I'll unpack that in just a moment. It literally can change the trajectory of how you live your life. So here we go. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it says, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he is and that he rewards those who seek him. Matthew chapter 6, verse 6, these are the words of Jesus. When he's teaching in the context of prayer, he says this, But when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret 
will reward you openly. Now, both of these scriptures are talking about a central idea of a seeker's reward. That there is a reward, a way of living, a place of blessing in God that he has reserved for one group of people. And it's those who will seek him. When we set our hearts, like it it says in Psalm 84, on a pilgrimage, in other words, we aim our lives at drawing near to the Lord. When we do that, the Bible says that there is a unique, special reward that God only gives to those who meet that qualification. Now, God's an equal opportunity blesser. He loves to bless his people. And in Christ, according to Ephesians 1, we're blessed with Christ in heavenly places. He's lavished his love upon us. God can't love you, won't love you any more than he loved you on day one of saving you. This isn't about you earning God's love, but blessing and reward is a different issue. And God says that to the one who seeks him, it says in Hebrews, he rewards those who, New King James says, diligently seek him. Jesus says that when we live a life of private pursuit or a private seeking after God, his purposes, his will for our lives, that that done in secret actually produces a public reward or a blessing upon our lives which is the very, the very thing that really we're all looking for. When Jane and I were first married 30 years ago, you know, we were dirt poor. We didn't, we didn't have any money to go out to the movies or to go to dinner, those kinds of things. Those of you who maybe remember back to your early days of being married, you know what it's like when you're scraping money together to order a pizza or something. But we had really close friends and so we would do things together, and one of the things that we did was this, uh, it was kind of a scavenger hunt called a geo box. So they would hide these little geo boxes all over, and every, every weekend in the newspaper, they would uh, give clues. And so you'd get, pick up the newspaper, you'd try to find these clues, and it was scattered. These geo boxes were scattered all over the city. And if you go find this box, and if you could find it, pass the riddle, figure it out, and it would give you a clue to the next one. And you did this kind of all like for about six months to a year. And if you found at the end of it, if you found the, the geo box and all the clues kind of get more difficult as you go, then it was worth like $10,000. Where I was thinking, man, $10,000 would come in real handy right now. So that was our entertainment. We'd get together, we'd go through the newspaper, read the clues, and we drive all over the city of Grand Rapids looking for the geo box. Now, we never found the box, but we had an amazing time together because we were in pursuit together. And so we figured out who won, won the box. And you know, it's always 20, hindsight's always prophetic, right? So when you look back and it's go, oh, we should have known where that was at. And they won $10,000, but the reward for us actually was in the process of seeking for it. And when God says that he has a reward for us, he's talking, there's two groups of people that we need to really zero on. There's the seekers and there's the sought. The seekers are those who set their heart, as it says, to diligently seek him. And so a seeker is anyone who is searching, looking, or pursuing for a greater proximity of God's presence in their life. This is what it means to be a seeker. John chapter four, Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman and he, he talks about what God is seeking. He says that the Father is seeking those who will worship him in spirit and truth. Do you know that not only are we seekers, but God is a seeker. 
God is looking for something. God is not indifferent. God is not stoic. God is not cold. God is not austere. He's a father and he knows you and he loves you. And what he wants more than anything for you is he wants for you to become a seeker. Somebody who's not just looking for what God will give you out of his hand, but position your heart to actually seek his presence in your life. Because if you'll seek his presence, if you'll seek hard after him, you actually are giving God what he wants more than anything, which is you to pursue him. The Father is searching for those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Think about that. Think about how easy it is for us to become indifferent or kind of calloused and apathetic and complacent in our spiritual walk with God. Isn't it? I mean, if we're just honest... It's like we start off red hot for Jesus. Remember where you were when Jesus saved you? If you don't, today needs to be that day. But if you do, raise your hand wherever you're at, Edmund as well. Raise your hand if you remember where you were when you got saved. I remember where I was. And I remember how in the early days of following Jesus, how just everything, every song impacted me. I'd read the Bible and it was like, it just popped off the pages. It was as if I was speaking to God directly. It was like every verse just spoke right to where I was at. You would hear a preacher and it was like you were leaned in. It was like every new thing that they said was like you'd never heard it before. And you'd get around other people, hear their testimonies. You're dialed in. The offering bucket went by. You couldn't wait to like, man, what can I give? What can I give to God? And you'd go to work or you'd go to school or you'd walk down the street and you'd see people and you'd think to yourself, they need to know Jesus the way I need to know Jesus. And you, you had no problem sharing your testimony testimony because you were so moved. But then we all know that it's easy for us to just begin to cool down a little bit, to just let the spiritual temperature of our hearts change. It's, it's much like in a marriage where, you know, when you met that special someone that you're married to, you know, you decided you never wanted to live another moment of your life without them. And so you pursued them. And, you know, guys, you planned a, a special event where you took them and you got down on one knee and, and you took out that ring and they went, oh, like they didn't know. Oh. And then you took out the ring. For me, I asked Jane to marry me at Arby's with a curly fry. No, legitimately. I was 19 years old. I had no money. And so we were just talking and she's like, well, we should just get married. And I'm like, yeah, let's get married. I took a curly ring or curly fry out and I'm just like, here's your ring. I put it on her finger. She said, yes. All the women are mad at me right now. They're just like, how dare you even come to my church? So that you know, on our 30th, I surprised her. I drove her back to that Arby's and I upgraded the ring and presented it to her on our 30th. And, and so, yes, I made up for it. But do you remember when you asked that your, your wife to marry you or you said yes to the man that you're married to, your husband, and how you decided that this is the person I wanna spend the rest of my life with? It's like when you start dating that person to lead to that engagement moment, you know, you're on your best behavior. You're thinking through your time. I'm gonna take her here and then we're gonna go there. And, and you couldn't wait to talk to them. I, Jane and I were engaged at a time when phones were actually mounted to walls. Anybody remember that? If you're under 30, you're just like, what? No, there was a time when phones were on the wall and they had cords. 
and we had a 20-foot cord. Anybody remember those? Take that, and I'd go into the bathroom so my mom and dad couldn't hear and shut that door. And, hey, how you doing? For two hours. I don't even, we didn't even talk. It was just, I just want to hear you breathe. And now it's like, text, love you. Hey, can you grab something on the way home? Hey, do you mind if I hang out with my friends? Fine. By the way, a little side note, fine doesn't mean fine. I figured that out. How does our love grow cold? It's because what you don't give attention to and what you stop pursuing will eventually grow cold. Whether it's in your marriage, whether it's in your health, or whether it's in your relationship with God. A seeker is someone who's looking and pursuing for something, and a seeker of God has set their heart on a pilgrimage that says, more than anything, I want, the, I want proximity to the presence of God. I wanna be near you, I wanna be close to you, I wanna know you. And you might wonder, well, what is the reward for those who would set their heart like that, the seeker's reward? Okay, if God says, if I'm gonna seek him, he's gonna reward. What's the reward gonna be? Wealth? Is the reward gonna be fame? Is the reward gonna be pleasure, uh, happiness? Is it, is it that everything is gonna go right in my life and I'm never gonna get a bad report again? Or is it something else? The reward for the seeker who sets his heart on drawing close to the Lord and making Jesus the grand obsession of your life is God himself. God speaks to Abram in Genesis 15 when he calls him out and he says, I'm gonna establish a covenant with you. And here's what he tells Abraham. He says to him, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision and he said, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your exceedingly great reward. God was Abram's reward. He's like, God, what are you gonna give me if I give up everything? Give up my family, give up, give up my culture, give up my language, give up my home. And, what, and, if I, and if I believe you and I step out and I begin to pursue you and your promises and your presence because wherever you promised you would meet me, that's where I wanna be. What are you going to give me? And God's answer is I'm gonna give you me. I'm gonna give you myself. And can I just tell you, if you have God, you have everything. If you have God, you have everything. If you have his attention, you have everything. If you have his favor, you have everything. One glance of Jesus's eyes with favor in them upon your life is better than an audience with millions of people that can give you the things of this world. Just one glance. This is what we're called to live our lives for. The secret reward is actually receiving more of him with every step that we make in his direction. This is the thing, because none of us arrived there. I was 12 years old when I met Jesus. I'd always known about God, grew up in church with my grandparents, but when I met Jesus personally, I was 12 years old, and he called me to follow him on a journey. I had no idea where that was gonna take me. He didn't show me the end and say, here's where it's all gonna go. Lee, you're gonna grow a church, you're gonna write books, you're gonna do this, you're gonna marry a great wife, you're gonna have a nice home. He didn't tell me any of that, but what he did say was, you'll have me. And with every step, some of those steps, just like everybody, we, we step off the path and we, you know, we rabbit trail, we go, we go a little bit. And then there's moments where in his goodness, God says, come, come back, come back to your first love. 
Come back to me. Remember. Remember that I'm good. Remember what I've done in your life. Remember that nothing else satisfies. Lee, come back. And then there's those gracious moments where he just pulls us back in, but the trajectory, the direction, the aim of our heart can be permanently fixed on his presence because this is what he wants for us. So here's the question I have is, if, if you were to look at your life this morning, you're in church on a really cold day in Oklahoma, I get it. So that speaks volumes about who you are. And if you're online, you've taken the moment to tune in that's awesome. But if you really had to be honest with yourself and look at the trajectory of your life and say, if I, if I had to determine what I'm a seeker of by the direction of my time, my attention, my energies, and my passions, would I be defined as a God seeker or a seeker of something else? I'm not talking about a believer because you can believe but be pursuing something else. But I'm talking about if, if I just looked at the aim of my life, if everything, kind of arrows, were pointed in a direction, is it really aimed at God? And if it's not, that's not a condemnation, that's not a judgment. It's just a, it's, it's a warning for us to reorient and recalibrate our hearts back towards the things that really matter. Jeremiah 29 verse 12 says, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. That's the promise that God gives to us. When we pray, he hears us. And he says, and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. In other words, when all the arrows of our life are aimed in the same direction. He says, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And here's the promise. I will restore your fortunes and gather you. Now, he's speaking to Israel about gathering them back in the land, which is the promises. But here's how it applies to us. When our heart is wholehearted and unified in our pursuit of God, saying, God, I want your will. I want to make you famous. I want to know you. I want to grow in you. I'm obsessed with the fact that you love me. When all of the arrows of your heart are unified together, God says that He'll restore the broken places in our life. Broken places in our life are typically the things that draw our attention away from our first love because we're looking for something else to fill that or to fix that. And he says, and then I'm gonna gather you, which means I'm gonna unite your heart. You know, there's power when you are wholehearted. David said, Lord, unite my heart. In the Psalms, there is, there's something powerful when your whole life is focused and you literally become obsessed with one thing. It's concentrated focus and power that produces change and transformations in our life. Okay, so we know that we, this is what we should do, but what's, what, are, what are the factors that cause us to become seekers of God's presence that cause us to be rewarded and to receive the reward of God's proximity. There's one master key, one master key. And if you're writing notes, write this down. Just write one word. It's hunger. It's hunger. Question we need to ask ourselves on a regular basis. What am I hungry for? Typically, Fridays are our date day. Jane and I take day off and it's our date day. And one of our favorite places to go is Costco. But you guys have Costco, you got Costco down there? I love Costco. Here's why I love Costco, the samples. 
I don't eat lunch. I, we show up like at 11.15 on purpose because that's when they roll all the samples out. And so we'll show up there and Jane's got her cart. We're pushing around, loading stuff up. Get whatever you want, babe. I'm just looking for where's the, where's the next aisle at the end of the aisle because it's like all oh, those little pizzas, those little... To, to, those little, uh, I don't even roll, like a little corn roll up with like beans and beef on the inside. I don't even know what they're called, but they're so good. And then they're like, they've got the Vitamix person making smoothies there. I'm like, yep, I'll take that. Lady would like the little Cheez-Its. And they're also like trying to hand out like vitamins. I'm like, get, get, that, get that stuff out of here. I'm, I'm not looking for health food. I'm looking, I want the little pizzas and the little frozen custard things. And man, give me, I, you can eat lunch at Costco. Can I tell you why they do that? It's because they know something. If I can get you to just taste, you'll buy the real thing. Except I don't. I just. <laughs> they know. They're not doing it out of the goodness of their heart. They're just like, hey, go ahead. The first one's always free. Go ahead. And then they, they got you and then they, they, you're hooked. Psalm 34 says this. Verse number eight, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his refuge. Psalm 34, oh, taste and see. What's God saying? God's like, come and just try the sample. Because here's what happens when you taste it, you develop a hunger for the thing that you've tasted before. Nobody in this room is hungry for something you've never had. You only hunger for something you've had before and then your mind says, I want that again. When you eat something, you develop a, it's a pleasure. Uh, you, you taste something and it hits your pleasure center in your brain. You're just like, ooh, that's good. And so now you remember it. And, that, and that's what happens to me at eight o'clock every night. I'm just sitting there. I've been doing good on my diet all day long. Anybody relate to what I'm saying? It's like, I started off with my cachava shake. I drink that. I'm good all day. A little handful of nuts. I'm like, mm, I am on dialed in. But at about seven o'clock, I hear this little voice is like, hey man, how about some chips? and salsa. And then when you go there, then there's a, a cousin voice that jumps in and goes, well, you might as well have some queso. And then once you've done that, you've crossed the line and now it's ice cream. And so between 7.30 and 9.30 is like, I have more guilt heaped on me than at any other time in my life because I, I just, hunger! But if you've never had ice cream before, you don't get hungry for ice cream. I saw my grandson at three years old taste ice cream for the first time, and his eyes just went. I like this. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Let me tell you something about spiritual hunger. Jesus said, Matthew 5, 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed, blessed are those who hunger and thirst. In other words, on the receiving end of God's goodness are those who have developed a hunger for righteousness. We develop appetites for all kinds of things, righteous things, unrighteous things. 
But the Bible says taste and see. Why? So that we will develop an appetite for God. Spiritual hunger is the exact opposite of natural hunger. Natural hunger is when you haven't eaten, you crave what you want, and so you go eat it until you're full. And then you're not hungry anymore. And that's when you swear, I'm never eating again. I'm done. I'm never eating. I can't do it ever again. Until you're hungry again. Spiritual hunger is the exact opposite. The more you encounter the Lord, the more you taste and see that the Lord is good, the more you consume spiritually, the hungrier you get. So when you haven't been reading your Bible and you haven't gone to church in a while and you've kind of become complacent in your walk with God and your prayer life's stale, that's why you don't desire it. It's because it's the exact opposite. When you're dialed in and God's speaking to you and you're encountering the presence of God and you've got a prophetic word and you've been in small groups and people are just you know, really ministering to you, you've tasted and seen, your hunger begins to cycle. You get hungrier and hungrier and hungrier. But when you haven't had it in a while, it's like, oh, I don't read. I'm trying to read the Bible, but it just isn't any, it's not speaking to me. It's like, no, here's how you develop spiritual hunger to become a seeker who receives the reward of more of God. Three things. Three keys to spiritual hunger and saying yes to God's invitation to being a seeker. Number one is seek God first. It's the law of priority. Jimmy Evans talks about this in his book, Marriage on the Rock. The law of priority. What you seek first sets the precedent for everything else in your life. It's the law or priority. So seek God first. If you are feeling stale in your walk with God and you want to begin to develop spiritual hunger so that you can seek God again, the first step is seek God first. Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and then all these other things will be added unto you. So seek first is about priority. It might mean seeking him the first thing in the morning before you do anything, before you start scrolling on the gram. Before you read, you know, or look at the news on television, before you get up and do anything else, intentionally make a priority in your, in your heart and in your life that above all things, on the first day of the week, we go to church. When I grew up, uh, my grandparents, you went to church, and we didn't have our 15-minute services. It was a Pentecostal church, Pentecostal church, and you went to church, and and if it was an hour and 15 minutes, it was Ichabod. It was like, what just happened? God's not even here. It was like, no, three-hour services. Three-hour ser- throwdown services. My Aunt Jeanette on the B3 organ, she had a beehive haircut and an overhead projector, and you knew the Holy Ghost moved into the room when her beehive haircut would begin to twitch on the overhead projector, and Tuppy Mudd stood up and said, the, the Holy Ghost is in the room, and yay, and he prophesied in King James English, yeah, I am the Lord, and I am here, my people, and, and that's when you knew church was on, and you weren't going anywhere for a while. I drew in more church hymnals than you've ever seen in your life, because we went to church, And then we came back to church on Sunday nights. Come on, anybody remember those days? From the rising of the sun to the setting of the same, the name of the Lord is to be praised. We came to church on Sunday nights. And on Wednesday night, Bible study. Tuesday night, prayer meeting. Monday night, the deacons washed the windows. We came to hallelujah them. And we went to church. And there was no missing church. 
One time I asked my grand, I lived with my grandparents for a while. One time I asked my grandparents, I wanted to play in a hockey league. And they're just like, oh, when are the games? Sunday afternoon? Oh, no, we go to church. The reason I'm not a hockey player today is because of the law of priority. My grandparents were like, no, we're going to church. Families, can I just tell you, Pastor John did not ask me to say this, but what you do in a state of complacency, your children will discontinue. And so if church is optional for you, don't expect your children to make it a priority. When, when church is what you do when nothing else is going on, then don't be surprised when your kid's 25, 30 years old not raising their kids in church. But when you make something a priority, it gets branded on the inside of them. So seek God first, read God's word first. And the more you read, the more your heart will get hungry for. In every area of your life, family, finances, future dreams, begin with what you pursue first. Number two, seek God first. And number two, seek God habitually. Make it a habit. Develop a time and a place of seeking the Lord. A time and a place where you're gonna go after God. Psalm 105 says, let the heart of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Seek his presence continually. Make it a habit. Do it until you change. Do it until you feel it. You get a membership to the gym, you know, in January, you, you buy that Bowflex late at night off of cable because the infomercial comes on and you're, while you're eating your chips and queso. And you're just like, man, I really need that. So you order that thing. Getting the, the gym membership or ordering the equipment doesn't change your life. Developing a habit of using it is what changes your life. You can't expect, I'm, all right, today, Lord, I'm gonna pray. And you go into the secret place and you're praying you can't expect to pray like Reese Howell's intercessor when this is your first time praying. But when you come back every single day, listen, can I start? God's not impressed by any of our prayers. He's impressed by our posture of seeking him. God's not in heaven going, wow, that's an eloquent prayer. Woo, they quoted all the right verses in context. That's amazing. They got that out of, you know, Kenneth Copeland devotional. That's... I, I'll answer that prayer. Now, God's looking for a heart that is raw before him. Oh, God. And to do that over and over and over. This is what Jesus meant when he said, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. We give up too quick. We go to the gym for two weeks and it's like, my body's not transformed. I quit. And we go to prayer and we're just like, I've been praying, you know, four days in a row and my life's not changed and we quit. No, we gotta be tenacious about this thing. It's like, I have set my heart on you, God. I am not letting go. I am not changing course. I am not stopping until you bless me, until I get that reward of knowing your presence, knowing your voice. I'm going all in on this. And the problem that we have is we tend to overestimate what we can accomplish in one moment and underestimate what we can accomplish over time. We think too short-term and not long-term. My great-grandmother, Wilma Bird Norton, was 89 years old when she went home to be with Jesus. In the last 10 years of her life, she really couldn't get out of her chair. And as a 15-year-old kid, I would go walk over to my great-grandmother's house. She got saved in a Billy Sunday crusade in 1919. 
served Jesus her entire life, and I used to go over there, and she had a great big old 50-pound heathen choker King James study Bible that was set on her lap alongside of her little dog, and she had a spiral notebook that was full of all the visions, the dreams, and the prophetic words that the Holy Spirit spoke over her life. And I used to just go sit there as a 15-year-old kid and say, Grandma, tell me stories. Tell me what God has shown you over the years. And I would draw from that well of 60 years of walking with Jesus. You want to talk about a legacy? That's a legacy. She could have had millions and millions of dollars and it wouldn't have been close to what that was worth. What do I mean by thinking too short-term is we think, what do we, what do we want to be today instead of who do we want to be in the long term? Last thing is this. Seek God first, seek God habitually, and seek God together in community. We need one another, church. Church is so important. The community of the saints is so important. Hebrews 10 says, do not forsake the gathering of yourselves together as is the habit of son, but even more so as we see the return of the Lord approach. How many believe that Jesus is soon returning? He is our soon coming king. I mean, you can look at the world. And you, uh, if the heart cry ought to just be Maranatha, Lord Jesus, come. But the Bible says, if that's true, then we need each other more than we've ever needed before. We, need, we grow best together. We seek God best together. We need pastors, teachers, and leaders, but we also need to be together because when we're by ourselves, we're isolated. We get easily deceived and isolated. But when we're together, somebody else's hunger rubs off on us. And You put me in a room with 100, 100 hungry people and their hunger is gonna rub off on me. Years ago, uh, I was trying to do charcoal briquettes in a, in a grill. It was the first time I ever had a charcoal grill. And so I had it, and because I'm meticulous, I, I laid all the briquettes out, spaced them all out, and I poured lighter fluid on them, lit it, put the lid on, came back 10 minutes later. They were still cold. It's like, what in the world's going on? So I I put some more in there and I lit them back on fire, put the match in, came back five minutes later, nothing. My neighbor, we were in a little townhouse. He came around the corner of the little partition between our cement patios and he goes, you having a hard time? I, yeah, I can't get this charcoal lit. And he lifted the lid, he just laughed. That was embarrassing, by the way. He just laughed at me. He's like, man, you can't do, <laughs> this, is, this is never gonna work. So he says, give me your bag. And he took the charcoal and he poured a big pile on there. He lit that thing, and 10 minutes later, his coals became white hot. It's because they're stacked on top of one another. They feed off of one another. That's what happens in the church. It's what happens when we gather together, when we grow together. When we gather together and we seek together, his presence comes in a tangible, manifest way. Acts 13 says, in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called, Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, now separate unto me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And having fasted and prayed together, they laid their hands on them and they sent them away. Paul's apostolic ministry was birthed out of a room full of hungry people seeking God. That's why we're here today. 
because there was hungry people in a prayer meeting that 2,000 years later is still causing ripple effects. Tonight, at both Edmond and at OKC, we're gonna be hosting presbytery, and I've got some great friends with me, Les Beecham from Omaha, Nebraska, Caleb Culver from our church. And, and tonight, we're just gonna be ministering prophetically over candidates and over the congregation. This is an environment where the coals get stacked. And it's an environment where the hungry will gather. When a room is filled with hungry people, anything is possible. Because God's promise to hungry seekers is that he is our reward and he will draw near to us when we draw near to him. And I wanna encourage you, number one, to come tonight. To come. I know John said you can watch the Cowboys on your phone, but they're not worth watching, just like the Lions. So just go ahead and turn it off. But come with a hungry heart. What if God spoke something into your life tonight, today, that could forever change the trajectory of your life, your family, your kids, your marriage, your business? What if today was the day that eternity stepped into your history and changed your destiny? Wherever you're at, would you stand with me, Edmund? here in OKC, I just, I wanna close in prayer. And I wanna invite you, if you would, to just bow your heads with me. Because more than even tonight, what I pray the Holy Spirit would do in this room, in us, is that he would stir within us the coals and the embers of love for him. So that once again, we don't just tolerate God, but we become pursuers, seekers of God, to be people that carry the reward of his presence in our lives. And so, Lord, I'm praying that today over this church, over this congregation, that, Lord, you would look down and you would see a room full of those who have set their hearts like flint on pursuing and chasing after you, God, that our lives would never be the same that we would be red hot in our pursuit of you. Jesus, remove all the distractions, stir hunger once again in the places where spiritual anorexia has robbed us of our appetite. Lord, would you step in and just stir our hearts to hunger and to long and to thirst for you once again. Lord, remind us of the moments in our life where you've broken through, where you've spoken to us, where you've made a way where there was no way, where you healed our brokenness, you forgave our sins, and you gave us a vision and a dream for living for you. God, remind us of those moments. Rebuild the altar on our hearts so that we would be seekers of your presence above all else. And we ask this this morning in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us here today for this week's message. And here at Victory Church, we are called to equip people to live in His presence, move beyond ourselves, and be transformed. And this can only happen through your radical generosity, your serving, and your prayers. 
If this message or any of our messages have impacted your life and you would like to partner with us by giving into this ministry, you can do so by visiting our website at victory.church give. Thank you again for joining us and have a great day.